In this episode, I'm thrilled to introduce you to my friend, my mentor, my colleague, Simon Vetter. Simon is an executive coach and a behavioral change expert. And we're going to talk about changing behaviors for yourself, how to help other people change behaviors, how to make time for strategic thinking, and so much more. Here's the question. How do you successfully transition into your first official leadership role, build the confidence and competence to lead your team effectively, and establish yourself as a respected and trusted leader across the organization? That's the question, and this show provides the answers. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw, and I'm on a mission to create workplaces where work is not seen as a source of stress, but as a source of contribution, connection, and fulfillment. And this transition starts with developing a new generation of leaders. I'm a leadership coach, a mom of three, a coffee lover, and a travel enthusiast. Stick around because in this show, you'll learn how to think, communicate, and act to become a confident, high-performing leader people love to work with. Let's go. Welcome to this episode of the Manager Track Podcast. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Simon Vetter today. Like I said in the intro, Simon has been a friend, a mentor, and a colleague of mine for the past, I want to say, three to four years. And we've done some great work together, and I learned so much from him. Simon is a behavioral change expert and an executive leadership coach for senior leaders. In fact, many Fortune 500 companies have hired him to work with their senior leaders in their teams as he specializes on creating high-performing teams and helping leaders change behaviors. But behavioral change is so important because as you grow in your leadership career, your career grows only to the extent that you grow. And in order to grow, we continuously have to change behaviors. We have to let go of behaviors that got us until here, but are not serving us anymore going forward. We have to work on our weaknesses and we have to strengthen and leverage our strength. And that all is what we call behavioral change. Simon is an expert in this field, which is why I wanted to bring him on this show so he can share some of the expertise that he's also sharing with his clients, such as, such as Adobe, Cisco, Dell, Johnson Johnson, Siemens, UBS, Roche, Microsoft, the NFL, and so many more. He also wrote two books, one standout, Branding Strategies for Business Professionals, and his most recent book, is Leading with Vision, an investigative journey to uncover the core ingredients needed for leaders to captivate today's workforce. I'll link to all of that in the show notes, but for now, without further ado, let's dive in and welcome Simon to the show. Hi, Simon. Great to have you on the show. Wonderful to be with you, Ramona. Simon, I'm really curious when we talk about high-performing teams and your work around being an executive coach and helping with behavioral change, what got you interested in this field and what is it that keeps you motivated in working with teams and executives on these specific topics? Yes, a little bit about my background that helps with the context. So I grew up in Switzerland and uh, had a degree in uh, business and marketing from University of Bern, which I think you also studied there. That's right. So we have something in common here. And I got into the management training field, organizing conferences and leadership programs and workshops. And I was always interested in how do 
companies excel? Uh, how do they work together? How do executive teams collaborate? And then in 97, I went to San Diego and I got a job in uh, sales. And I knew that the way I used to work back in Switzerland didn't work the way I used to do it in San Diego in, in a different cultural context. So I had to make some significant changes. Mm -hmm. I had to learn how to network, how to be more outgoing, approach people. And I knew I need to make some changes. I then moved into coaching and training, and now I work with executive teams and leaders to really help them create that high-performing environment. And that's what my focus is. When we're thinking about developing high-performing teams, what in an individual component, where do you see the connection between developing as a sort of as a, as a leader yourself and developing self-leadership as well as changing your own behavior? And then how does that connect with actually becoming a high-performing team as a group of individuals who work on a common goal? A manager or leader sets the tone for the organization or for the team or for the, the business unit. And so I look at behaviors and I look at what are effective behaviors and what are ineffective behaviors. And uh, I want to help the, my leaders leverage and capitalize on the, on the, on the strong areas and also be aware of the derailing ineffective behaviors. Mm -hmm. And th there are three things, kind of three main challenges that most of my leaders have. And I would say all of my clients, they have one thing in common. They don't have enough time to do all the things they want to do. Wow. Does that resonate? Yes. And they say, I don't have enough time. They say, I'm all over the board. I don't know uh, how I get this done. So the challenges are, they are very much believing that they are self-reliant instead of relying on their team. Mm -hmm. They often have a lot of different uh, priorities. Sometimes they, I work with people that have 15 priorities and then they have really no priorities. So lack of clarity and that clear direction. Mm -hmm. And with that, it's easy to decide what to do. It's hard to decide what not to do. Oh my gosh, 100%. Yeah. And the third one is how do they effectively spend their time? Everybody has the same amount, 24 hours every day. Mm -hmm. We want to sleep and we want to eat and we want to spend time for ourselves. So there is a limitation on time. So how do we capitalize and use our time most effectively? And one of the questions I always ask my, my clients is, what can only you do? Mm -hmm. What's the biggest value? What do you get paid to do? And here I can maybe uh, jump in with an example. I was working with uh, a project manager who got promoted to a leader of a project team. So she has now 50 people and uh, in a construction environment. And her manager asked me to coach her. Her name is Debbie. And Debbie was a, a great project manager. It was a great problem solver. When I sat down with Debbie, I said, why am I here? Why, why do you believe my manager wants you to work with you? And she said, you know, I love my job. I'm really good at it. I work with my clients. I solve problems. I fight fires and I'm totally overwhelmed. And you just could see she was carrying all her stress and, and, and on her shoulders, 
she's not having fun. She said, I come in early in the morning. I leave late. I work on the weekends. I don't have a life. I start working with her and I start getting some feedback. I talked to 12 people on her team, peers, her manager, and there was a clear picture that came up. Debbie was a great problem solver. When one of her new managers came to her within the problem, what did she do? Yeah. She solved it. Yeah. Now, next time a manager had a problem, what did the problem manager do? They went to Debbie because they knew she's going to solve it. Yeah. She enabled her managers to come to her with problems. Yeah. So she was always fighting fires and always solving problems and not really leading. So we identified two areas for her. Number one, instead of solving problems for her managers, teach them, develop them, coach them to be better problem solvers. Mm-hmm. So they come to her with solutions instead of problems. And she made a great progress and, and turned that around in her behaviors. And number two, she had to learn to be more strategic. Instead of looking three to six months ahead, she had to expand her planning horizon to one or two years. It's okay, good. Where we going to be this year, next year? How do I have to de- decide today to be successful in two years? So she had to establish strategic clarities communicate them to her team and help them understand this is where we're going. This is our priorities. This is what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. You just brought up two really important topics, I think, because one of them, the first one that you said and and the theme that you identified with Debbie was that she was a problem solver by nature. And it seems to me like this is something that I see often with people who transition from being an, an IC into their first leadership role is the things that actually make them really successful they get a lot of praise for, and they get really good comments and, and evaluations on in their performance reviews, et cetera, is the exact thing that then gets in the way of them being effective leaders. So I can imagine Debbie, when she was a project manager as an IC, she was, that her ability to problem solve was excellent. It was the thing that was a success strategy for her. And so it's natural, right, that when we then move into leadership, we think that same, why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't that same strategy still work? Exactly. Oftentimes a strength in a role can become a liability in an other role or in a leadership role. Yeah. So Debbie, I, I have this exercise. I ask people to think about three things. Number one, what is the strength you apply in your role? What is the value to the organization? And what is the potential risk? So with Debbie, she's a great problem solver. She gets things done. The potential risk, she overwhelms herself and becomes ineffective in leading others. So it's a great exercise to go through those three steps and understand, okay, what is the potential risk of me overdoing my strength? Yeah. And we call this also a derailing behavior. It's like a train on the track, on the rail, derails. Yeah. It could be very damaging. It could even lose lives. Yeah. So in leadership roles, when, when managers have derailing behaviors, it can be very damaging and reduce and limit the effectiveness. Well, and I think this may sound to some of the listeners, this may sound like, you know, this is one out of 10, we'll deal with a derailer, but 
I see this in basically every single client and clients don't come to me because they have a performance issue. They come to me because they are high performers and they know they need the support to continue in an increasingly expanding role uh, to deliver that kind of performance and impact. And they see that that support is what sets them up for success. And basically everyone has these blind spots, these derailing or uh, behaviors or liabilities that come from past behaviors that were really good in that moment, but now are overdone. Do you agree with that? Yes, that's another um, factor where I help people to be more aware how they come across. And we all have blind spots. Yeah. We don't see things in ourselves that everybody else sees. Yeah, example. I'm, thought. <laughs> I, I was working with, with a financial planner. He was a manager of a team and uh, he had great interaction with clients, gregarious, outgoing, and he was disorganized. Mm-hmm. And he may, missed uh, meetings, he was late. And so I was in his office, which had uh, like a glass, a, a glass wall so people could look in his office. And I tell him, so I think you should... His name is Gary. Uh, I, I say, y- you want to be more organized. And you want to go to your people and ask them how you can be more organized. So he said, no, I don't want to ask them. I don't want them to know that I'm disorganized. And I said, Gary, don't kid yourself. Look around your office. It's a mess. And everybody who walks by sees your mess. So they already know that you're disorganized. So... We don't have to hide those behaviors because people see it. Yeah. So we, the best way is to be honest with ourselves, go to people and say, hey, this is an area where I want to get better at. I want to be more focused. I want to be on time. I want to be more organized. And I like you to support me in improving. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm moving to behavioral change. We have done a lot of surveys, why people change. And one of the most important factors, the significant indicator for behavioral change is engaging and asking coworkers to help make changes. Yeah. So when I work with a client, I'm not working only one-on-one. I work with their surroundings, with their, I call them the stakeholders. Yeah. Their people on their team, their peers, their managers, and involve them in helping my client make changes. Yeah. So I was going to ask you this because going back to Debbie's example, which I think a lot of people can relate to of, of just feeling like never having enough time and there's too much to do as they scale their leadership responsibility and have to say, learn to say no to more things and be a lot more clear with priorities and, and, um, plan out the strategy further out. When you have this conversation with Debbie or someone like Debbie and you say, listen, here's the problem. The problem is you're creating these dependencies and you are the problem solver for everyone. A lot of people in that situation, they get that intellectually, but it's a really different thing to then actually change and let go of this need to want to control or need to want to give advice and problem solve. For someone listening who can resonate with this, who can relate to this, what would you suggest them to do? So part of the behavioral change, I identify two things. Number one, what do you want to change? Mm-hmm. 
What is the behavior you want to improve that will help you in your role get more support, get people to, to deliver, be more reliable, uh, re reliant on your team? So defining the what to change. Mm -hmm. So like also, you're spinning it down to a very specific behavior? Exactly. So for Bibi, it was two things. Delegate, empower, enable, and delegate to our people. And number two, be strategic and set clear objectives and priorities for her organization. So there are the two things I worked with her for entire year. See, I love that you just said it took an entire year. Because I think sometimes we think this is a quick fix because it looks like such an easy thing to do differently. But because we're so programmed to react, especially under stress, in high stake situations to go back to our old patterns that to undo these patterns and build new patterns that then become the default behavior that takes time. She had a really hard time making two, three hours in her schedule just to sit back and think strategically. Yeah. And after like two months, she got sucked into her <laughs> client problems and there was a lot of urgency and she jumped in and then she said, oh, I don't have time to to strategize. And, and then after two months, I said, okay, good. You go to a place, a coffee place or a place where you don't get interrupted, turn off your phone and work for two hours on your strategic priorities. Do some planning, think long-term. And it took her a, a strong effort to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And then as she did that along the way in taking time to teach her, her direct reports, to be better problem solvers. And that's how she scaled her impact. It took six to eight months for her to really see some, some significant improvement. And then the last four or five months, she anchored those behavioral changes and they became more habitual. Nice. Yeah, I think this is such an important topic. Um, and for so many in, again, like I said, the intellectual understanding is there of, yes, I should sit back and prioritize. But then the moment that the calendar thing goes up and it says like, Hey, the next two hours are blocked out for the strategic project or for planning. And then our attention goes right back to the Slack message or the inbox or to someone else who seems to need our input. And it almost seems like they can't continue working unless I jump in and I help them out. And so as a leader who wants to serve and wants to support their team member, this can be a really tricky challenge there. And what I'm hearing from you too is to get, as a way to solve this is to get really, really clear on what is it actually that I want to solve and how can I create an environment where I'm more likely to follow through, like going to a coffee shop or using a different laptop that maybe doesn't have you know, the collaboration tool installed or right? I don't have access to my inbox or turning things off and shutting it down. Yes. You, you brought up a good point. You said what the person wants to improve. I sometimes hear people say, yeah, I need to be a better delegator. I need to spend more time on planning. I know a lot of executives, they need, they have a, a need to improve. Now the question is, do they want to? Yeah. Are they willing to? Are they really committed to make the change? Mm -hmm. When I work on defining the what, what to change, it's also making sure that they understand the need for it 
and also that they develop the commitment to do it. Mm -hmm. And often I ask my clients, let's take Debbie's example. So imagine you are better at delegating and, and holding your people accountable and get them to solve problems. And you're really good in planning ahead. What will be the impact in six months or 12 months of you having made that behavioral change? Mm -hmm. So I help them to see the ideal outcome from them having improved. I listen very carefully. I help them paint a picture. And then I have them really see that picture in their own mind's eye. Mm -hmm. And then I always get, get back to say, okay, this is what we discussed. That's what you really want to make happen. And then I, I use that like a North star or like a vision to help them to understand that I got to keep working on those things mm -hmm. to accomplish or to get to that ideal outcome. Yeah. So part of the coaching is not only give them advice, but also make sure they're committed to change. Change, yeah. And if someone is willing and open and committed to change, there's a high chance that they will actually change. Yeah. And if someone doesn't want to change, they resist or they give me excuses, chances are they won't. Yeah. Often say their reasons may not be compelling enough, which is why there isn't progress or you're getting in your own way. Like if we say, I have to change because my boss wants me to change or because someone else said I should probably change in this, that's probably not going to be compelling enough for you to actually go through the discomfort of changing a behavior. Yeah. But actually on that note, I want to dive deeper into this because one of leaders' responsibility or what many people consider to be sort of they're like assigned to them as a, as a job is, and maybe even as a privilege, is to help other people grow. And that means helping other people on their team, specifically their directs, go through the behavioral change. What do you suggest for a manager who's listening and wants to know, how can I help the people on my team go through behavioral change? How can I help them shift things up so that they're more impactful? The developing coaching and Supporting direct reports is an important leadership skill. It's part of building a, a strong team. How do you do that? I have a very simple tool. I give them a one page with four quadrants mm -hmm. and I have them to complete it and then have a conversation with their direct reports. First quadrant is what are three to five things you see this person is doing well? Mm-hmm accomplishments, strength, things they are successful at. Then the second quadrant, what is one or two things you like this person to do better, improve? Third quadrant, what is a specific project or task that they can focus on? Maybe they can work on a specific client issue or on implementation of a project or taking a class or something very specific. And then the fourth quadrant is action steps and next steps. Mm -hmm. And often I say, okay, do a one-on-one with each of your direct reports once a month, half an hour max. 
and go through those four quadrants. And the whole point is to help the person use their strength, mm-hmm. build on their strength, because when people use their strength, it's a good predictor for performance. Yeah. Continue to improve in an important development area mm-hmm. and then work on specific things. And then the regularity once a month helps them to keep track, establish accountability and make sure there is continuous progress. Yeah. Compared to like those annual performance evaluations and appraisals, they're well intended. Mm-hmm. They're very detailed and they get put on paper somewhere, put aside and never get followed up and nothing changes. Yeah. Yeah. And we only remember what happened like two months before. We actually have to submit the feedback, right? So uh, the, that continuity that you spoke about, I think that's so important. I love how simple this tool is. We don't need to make it complex, especially for people who don't have the support from a big L&D department and they know they want to give continuous feedback and, and love seeing other people grow and coaching them. This is a super simple tool to go out and apply right away. And an element to that is the manager provides feedback mm-hmm. to the direct report. Feedback on the strength, recognize and praise the strength. And that makes people feel, feel good about themselves. So highlight those and spend some time in their strengths. And it's okay, good. What do you do really, really well? How can you capitalize on those mm-hmm. and help them use their strength and also teach those strengths to others? Yes. And then the second area is be very honest and candid in providing development areas. And feedback, make it constructive. And I always tell my clients, when you provide feedback, do it because it's the intention to help. It's the intention to challenge the person to excellence without criticizing or embarrassing. I'm not providing feedback because I want to criticize you or put you down. No, I want to give you feedback because I want to help you be better. Yes. And under that context, a lot of direct reports and, and, and people, they want honest, candid feedback when delivered in a way that they can listen to. Yeah. So don't talk about mistakes. Don't talk about things they didn't do well. Saying, hey, here's things I want you to do better. And yeah. that little reframing can make a huge impact. Yeah, so good. By the way, also, I love how you said there's three to five things that they're really good at and only one to two areas to develop in. Right. So to balance it out, because we naturally tend to pay a lot more attention to all the negative things. And so see, having on paper that initial first quadrant be filled out. Very true. So then the second seems a lot more motivating on the receiving end. Thank you so much. This was super uh, valuable. And this last piece in this specific tool, I think it's a great actionable tip and suggestion for anyone listening who wants to become and leader who coaches and helps their team members develop, as well as what I can imagine is using it as a tool to gather feedback for themselves if they want to figure out like, what is it that actually I can do for myself by filling this out, doing a quick self-evaluation on what do I think I'm really good at? What are a couple of things I could do better at? What are some of the projects that I think will help me grow and get further ahead in my career? And then what are the action steps I want to take? 
And correct me if you see this differently, but I would assume that filling this out and then bringing that to your own manager and having a conversation and with them and asking them for their feedback and if they have any other suggestions, that could be a really uh, useful conversation. As well. Absolutely. And, and what I have found, effective leaders, they're open to be challenged. They're open to listen to other people's perspective and perception. And there are different ways to get feedback. Three main ways. One, you hire a coach and you ask him to interview eight to 10 people. Mm -hmm. Number two, there's a lot of 360 online feedback tools. Mm -hmm. And number three, the manager can do it themselves. And I give them four questions, very simple questions. Number one, what do you see are my strengths? Mm -hmm. Second question, what is unique? about me? That's very simple, question. very powerful question. Yeah. Number three, if there's one thing I can do better in my role as a leader, as a coworker, as a peer, what would that be? And number four, are there any other tips that you can give me to strengthen myself? Phrased in a positive way, people are willing to provide feedback. I often give those four questions to my clients to do it themselves. And they always come back with some new insights, new learnings, oftentimes also confirmation mm -hmm. to really kind of reflect and look in the mirror and see how they are perceived. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing that tool. And that's the second one that people can add to their toolbox and go out and actually not only learn how to identify some of the specific areas to change or to grow, in and then also to get the support, like that stakeholder support we talked about in the beginning in order to then be more likely to follow through on the behavioral change. Thank you, Simon. This was super insightful. I appreciate all the wisdom that you shared in this interview. For people who want to learn more about the work that you do with teams and with senior leaders, where can they find out more about your work? They can check out my website, simonvetter.com. Also, I have written a book called Leading with Vision, how to create a compelling vision that people want to be part of and are emotionally engaged. You can pick it up anywhere online. It's also available on audio. And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Simon Vetter, you will find me. My company is called Standout International. Awesome. Thank you, Simon. I will link to the book and your website as well as LinkedIn in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Simon. Thank you very much, Ramona. If you love this show, then you love even more my free training for new managers. If you haven't watched this training yet, then I'll strongly encourage you to sign up at RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass. You'll discover the key shifts you'll need to make as a new manager and the number one most common mistake to avoid. Plus, you'll walk away with actionable tips that you can apply in your role right away. Go to RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass to sign up.